Dear friends, good evening. It's our November 1st, uh, 2022. And we're here on Tuesday night at the Open Way Mindfulness Center for our Tuesday practice. And when we were walking tonight, I was um, thinking about uh, just just yesterday, I was with a patient in the hospital and that person's spouse, and they'd had a, a somewhat traumatic event and were recovering, and um, they were just talking about how uh, how much that affected them and just kind of walking around through the day and just having that weight on on the, the spouse as they were moving through town and we happened to be just kind of looking out over at that pine street and orange intersection uh, and just watching everybody going about their days and it seemed to occur to all of us at the same time that just we don't know anything about other people really you know it's uh we have no idea what people are carrying around with them. Uh, we don't know what you're carrying today, uh, or yesterday, or any of the other um, decades in your life. I think uh, the reason that really spoke to me is that it's so easy to make a quick assessment about somebody about a person, about uh, who they are, what kind of person they are, or uh, what they're bringing into, uh, bringing into the world, into, into the context. Whether it's positive or negative, we do that so quickly. Um, and one of the things I love about this practice is that it invites us uh, to check that a little bit. Uh, to pause, uh, to notice that, that story about somebody else come up into our mind and take over into our, our perception, and uh, to notice it and then to release it a little bit, to let it go just, uh, just a little, uh, or a lot, if you can. Um, <clears throat> This, this practice is very, uh, very subtle, too, because it's easy to, um, it's easy to learn kind of the basics, the fundamentals, and then uh, sometimes it's easy also to go a little bit astray, <laughs> to take the practices and to um, start applying them in, in ways that may not be as helpful. Uh, I've shared in here before one of my favorite recent examples is with uh, my own kids because they hear all the time about um, perception and the, the way that we perceive things that's not always accurate and our memories uh, kind of create uh, the story as we recall the information. And, um, and so if we are in disagreement about uh, like, I don't know who got cracker crumbs on the chair. Uh, they start saying like, well, dad, you know, um, 
perceptions aren't always accurate. It's like, oh, come on. And, you know, so that would be a great example, I think, of, of the practice being twisted a little bit. Um, or the, the intention of the teachings being twisted a little bit. And it's funny to laugh at. And then I also do it all the time, too. Uh, they didn't come up with that on their own. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure they heard that uh, before. And um, uh, tomorrow, or uh, not tomorrow, but uh, next week during our sutra service, we're going to look at the discourse on knowing the better way to catch a snake. And uh, in that discourse, there's a, a monk who. Uh, takes one of the teachings, this one's about sense perceptions, and uh, says that they are not, uh, pleasurable sense perceptions are not an obstacle to the practice. And the other monastics say, do you, do you really think that's what the Buddha is teaching? And he's like, yep, I do. And, uh, and they say that, no, that's not what he's teaching. He says, well, I think it is. And so that's what I'm going to continue to teach. And then, um, and then he gets taken before the Buddha and corrected, and it's. Uh, um, I think it it's a wonderful example of how easy it is to take something uh, and then to put kind of our own spin on it if we're not careful. Um, and um, and in that sutra afterwards, the Buddha talks about the teachings being like a snake. That if you're not careful, if you don't know how to. Um, how to pick up a deadly snake that it can bite you, uh, can create uh, suffering, poison. And I, I bring that up because, um, because it's so easy uh, to take things for granted, to uh, make an assumption about what, what we know, whether it's about a person, uh, that what we were talking about in the beginning or part of this this practice. There have been many times in my life where I've used uh, a version of mindfulness practice uh, to actually disconnect and disengage uh, from, from people around me, um, from a situation from an emotion. And the way that, that I would do that is by uh, kind of uh, disconnecting a little bit from my body and just, just focusing on breathing, but in a way that it was uh, kind of manipulating the experience, uh, in a way of avoiding uh, what my actual experience was. My, uh, my wife was uh, very skillful in pointing that out uh, at one particular time. Um, and it was really helpful to, to realize, oh, I'm doing that. I'm taking the teachings and, and uh, not picking it up correctly, not picking up the sneak correctly, and, and actually causing more suffering than I intend to. Uh, both in myself and in, in the other person. And and so I think um, 
I think the application of these practices, the application of mindfulness uh, as, a, as a way not of avoiding or disengaging, but rather entering very deeply into an experience. So when you feel that uh, discomfort, when you feel that anxiety, Depending on, on the level of the anxiety, it can be helpful to lean into um, that experience a little bit. And then also to widen the, the field, to notice um, what else is happening. So my anxiety is happening, and what else is happening? Um, my breathing is happening. Maybe it's not the breathing I want. Maybe it's a little more rapid than I want it to be. Uh, maybe a little more shallow than I want it to be. So maybe I can relax my abdomen a little. Let the breath come a little more deeply. It's not, it's not uh, avoiding that experience, but it's rather it's, it's working with it and coming into contact with it. There's a, a practice that we talk about often uh, in the Plum Village tradition uh, of Am I Sure? Uh, many times I've heard it applied as Are You Sure? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it can be a little, uh, a little, that I think is another example of that uh, being a little dangerous. Uh, the practice isn't meant to call somebody out on their misperception, which my kids do to me and I do to them. Um, not with that particular practice, just in general. But, um, but it's a, a practice that's meant to loosen our grip on what we think we might be perceiving. Um, it's not intended to... Uh, introduce, uh, introduce. I would say more like crippling or or doubt that um, leads us to inaction, but rather just to open up a little space in our experience. Um, when we make that snap judgment about a person, uh, that am I sure practice can really help with opening that up. And also, it can be a dangerous practice if, uh, if we have a habit energy from our family or from the way that we've grown up of always doubting or second-guessing ourselves, not trusting our own experience. Uh, that practice, am I sure, can be kind of dangerous um, because it can water that seed of that habit. So knowing kind of who you are and how you are is helpful. These... Um, we mentioned at the very beginning of the evening that uh, if the form of the practice isn't supporting you tonight, if it's drawing you away from connecting uh, with yourself, with the sangha, with, um, with the breath, uh, to not do that practice. And it's the same thing with something like, am I sure? Or uh, what we think may, or what I thought mindfulness looked like. Um, 
another uh, another example of something that can be a little dangerous is we um, might avoid an uncomfortable situation. Uh, maybe somebody in our community says something that's um, that makes us feel a little uncomfortable, um, and we might say, "Oh, well, I just need to breathe. Just breathe through that discomfort." And ignoring maybe, maybe I wonder why I'm feeling uncomfortable. Uh, maybe we can talk about it. Maybe not in the circle. Maybe we don't have to then. Maybe in the circle. Maybe it's something we want to approach. It's how we learn and grow uh, with that that place of being a little uncomfortable from time to time, um, and not uh, not ignoring it. I was uh, talking with a friend. Uh, I think uh, yesterday about uh, how easy it is uh, if we have a, something that we have a preference for uh, to immediately come up with these beautiful justifications for that preference. Um, they can come very, very quickly. Uh, one of my favorite examples as really, I was really looking at this in my life and I was at a uh, meeting with the Unitarian Universalist Fellowship, and we were talking about the order of service, kind of the, the structure of the evening, with the opening songs and readings and these things. And uh, we had had it in a particular order, and they were talking about changing the order. Um, and I really liked the way it was. And so I started creating this story. Uh, oh, but when we start this way, we have our voices together, and then it kind of... and. It was just this explanation that um, really was just supporting a preference. And I just let it go, and we changed it, and it was fine. <laughs> there was no problem. Uh, after a while, I learned to appreciate that. Um, and we can do that. Uh, we can do that a lot with, um, with our engagement, with, um, with the practice, with each other. It's very alive right now uh, in our world. People have very strong preferences, very strong opinions. Um, and those, um, they feel so real. Those preferences and opinions feel so real to us um, that it's almost hard almost impossible to imagine um, what things would be like without those preferences if our opinions were different or if we didn't have uh, strong preferences at all. I'd like to share a little bit about um, uh, the Buddhist view of consciousness as a support for this idea of preferences and of, uh, and of clinging. Uh, in the, um, sometimes it's called the mind-only school of Buddhism, or a consciousness-only school, they talk about uh, eight consciousnesses that we all carry around. Uh, and the first five are pretty 
uh, self-explanatory, but they're also really lovely practices. So uh, when we have a, a sense organ, for example, our ear, and it makes contact with a sound from outside, those two things come together and out of that emerges uh, what they call ear consciousness or hearing. Um, and when we hear the sound of a bell uh, each evening, it's an invitation to, uh, to really practice with hearing, with ear consciousness. The sound of the bell and the organ of the ear come into contact with each other and creates this experience of sound, of hearing. And that uh, experience, some of the places we can ask ourselves as we're experiencing that is, uh, well, best, or not best, but one of my favorite practices is just to listen, just to hear it, and really try to settle everything else and just let that hearing or ear consciousness kind of manifest fully. Uh, but sometimes I can be a little distracted, um, and so in order to help focus myself, I might ask, well, where is the sound? Is it in the room? Is it in the bell? Is it in my ear? Is it in the mind? And the answer isn't really that important. I don't have an answer, but it can help uh, settle that uh, distraction down and open up that experience of ear consciousness. Uh, and then likewise, we have eye consciousness, that you know, the eye and whatever light bounces off whatever object uh, come together to form eye consciousness. And tongue consciousness or taste, uh, nose or smell consciousness, uh, and contact, uh, feeling physical sensation. Of course, uh, the body has lots of places of uh, consciousness. It has the physical contact. It has our sense of where we are in space. Uh, has our balance. Uh, has uh, that sense of where our um, where our limbs are, where our extremities are. Uh, all of those things as uh, part of that body consciousness. And then uh, those are the first five. And the sixth consciousness is uh, mind consciousness. Uh, this is where the, um, the mind, the organ of the mind, the brain, makes contact with a thought or a feeling or a memory and creates mind consciousness. Uh, the same, uh, it's easier to uh, practice a little bit with our uh, senses feels a little little easier than it is with our mind, but it's the same idea, the same uh, practice. Where is our thinking? Where is our mind? Mind consciousness also influences all of our other uh, sense consciousnesses. That's how we know that you know, this is a candle. Uh, our mind has to help 
uh, interpret that light information, that light bouncing off to tell us that. Uh, likewise with the sounds and sight. Um, the seventh consciousness is called store consciousness. It's like a store is in a storehouse. And um, the way that it's explained is that it contains all of the seeds of our experience. Um, so our anger, our joy, our mindfulness, our love, our body, all of these are seeds within the store consciousness. Um, and the way that it's described is we water, those seeds get watered, and they grow into the mind consciousness. So the store consciousness contains the totality of our experience, and uh, it can be watered at any time and grow and emerge into our, into our experience. And um, mindfulness is one of those seeds. Uh, and it's lovely because mindfulness can come up into our mind consciousness and just hold the other seeds too, the other things that are in our experience. Now, we don't have to have just one seed at a time. Uh, we can have many going on. Uh, and the final consciousness is called manas. M-A-N-A-S. And it is a seed that emerges into the mind, but then it comes back and it grabs onto some of the other seeds that are in the mind and say, these are mine. This is me. This is who I am. Um, those other seeds, those aren't me. This is me. Uh, so, um, manas is... Um, a word that in early Buddhist sutras uh, was a synonym with mind. There were three words for mind. Uh, but uh, in this consciousness-only school, mind, manas is specifically this part of ourselves that comes back and grabs onto our experience. Um, I like to think that it does it out of, uh, out of love and care, uh, that it kind of comes back and it really cares about the things in, that it's holding on to uh, and doesn't want to let those go. Because there's a little fear about what happens if I let them go. And so this um, practice of working with manas uh, this is where we have our this is what creates our sense of who we are, our identity. Um, manas grabs onto this body and says, this body is mine. This is me. Uh, grabs onto uh, our hearing, our memories, our thoughts, uh, our view of the world. Grabs onto that and says, this is who I am. But by definition, uh, manas, in doing so, out of care, out of, out of love, uh, sometimes uh, uh, in Buddhism they talk about the three poisons, and one of those is ignorance, and so perhaps out of ignorance, um, it grabs onto that experience. Uh, but it creates separation. 
uh, creates separation in ourselves, uh, creates separation between ourselves, uh, creates separation uh, in our experience of the world. There's times uh, when when I've really touched into a, a, a place of feeling that manas, feeling that identity, that ego, that sense of self. Um, and I am aware of how much energy it takes to support that. I mean, just imagine if you were walking around all day, clinging on to something as hard as you could all of the time, how exhausting that would be. And, and that's what we're doing. That's what that manas consciousness is doing. It's grabbing on tightly all day, all the time. And so our practice invites us uh, to loosen that grip a little bit to soften those, those edges. Um, it invites us to uh, touch into the possibility that what we are grabbing onto may not be everything. <laughs> That's where that am I sure practice comes from. That's what it's getting at, how to loosen that grip. Not to introduce doubt, but how to, um, how to loosen our hold on what we think we are. Um, it can hold us back. And we are in really difficult times right now in our world, um, in some ways. There's a lot of anxiety, uh, fear, sadness, a lot of suffering. I was at lunch with some of my coworkers the other day and somebody asked, uh, they have uh, children as well, and asked uh, how, how we're talking to our kids about the threat of nuclear war. And I said, I gotta be completely honest, I am not. They have enough on their plate. I am not introducing that right now into their consciousness. Um, I mean, these are kids that are growing up with the background of climate change and uh, with the background of, of recognize, finally recognizing how prevalent racism and sexism and and other forms of discrimination are in our world. This is just their background. You know, for us as adults, we're learning this and being more aware of it. But this is the, the water they're growing up in. So, um, so I chose not to let them know about that, and I think it's all right. Uh, um, but I... I I really am uh, be trying to be aware of the energy uh, that I'm expending to uh, hold uh, this idea uh, 
of who I am and who other people are, all that energy that's being held in place. Um, and just trying to soften that grip a little bit on the mind. Um, just trying to be a little more, uh, a little more free. Because that manas constrains us. Uh, it eliminates possibility. It tells us who we aren't as well as who we are. Uh, and it limits our ability to be free, uh, to be free of heart. And it's uh, that kind of practice uh, for me that allows me then to step forward into engagement with the world. I feel like if I come into an interaction with somebody uh, already assuming what they think and who they are, that I've already lost. Uh, what have I lost? Uh, I've lost my freedom to know that person, uh, to experience that person, to really connect to that person's heart, to really know their story about who they are, all those years of experience that they're bringing forward to this moment, to know who they are. And so um, we started this, uh, this evening, this talk, uh, remembering about everybody's experience, remembering that uh, we all come with with whatever we bring, we, really, we won't know it. No matter how close we are to somebody, we won't know their uh, deepest experience, but we might know their, their hearts. We might be able to connect to them at a place that uh, doesn't have quite as much uh, uh, grip, a place that's not holding quite as tightly to ourselves or to the other person. And so these teachings, uh, the, these teachings are pointing us in that direction. Uh, and it's just a reminder to be a little careful with, um, with our grip on the teachings too, uh, because it can be a little bit, um, it can be dangerous. We can move away from connection and move away from opening and and love and freedom and introduce more restrictions on ourselves. More restrictions on ourselves. Um, yeah, my hope for us um, as a Sangha, as a, as a community, as a world really, is that we can move away from boxing ourselves and one another in and move a little bit more towards uh, connection, towards uh, trust, uh, towards love and loving engagement. Thank you.